It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. You know, when you think back in even more modern history, who are the great people? Were they just embraced and accepted? Churchill. Churchill was despised. He was considered extremely controversial. Now we all know what a tremendous leader Churchill Churchill was. George S. Patton. He didn't conduct himself like other generals. He wasn't a Millie, a Mattis, a Kelly, one of our greatest generals ever. More recently, England. England was dying in the 1970s. The government owned almost all the industries. The labor movement had been taken over by the Marxists. It looked like there was no end to what was going to take place. They elected the Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher. A few years later in our own country, after Jimmy Carter and the Democrats, the country was sinking. We elected Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was not supported by his party, the Republican establishment. In Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu is considered controversial. He's not controversial. Again, one of the great leaders of all times. If the Israelis are smart, they'll bring him back, especially now since they're on the brink. Many of you may not know this, but Abraham Lincoln was considered very controversial. He got elected first with a minority of the popular vote. He was not even expected to win. And when he ran for re-election, many expected him to lose to McClellan until there were some battleground victories, including the Battle of Atlanta. It was considered very controversial. Now let's put some things in context here. Bill Barr and others. Documents. Documents were at Mar-a-Lago. At the country club. That's not where the country club is, but it doesn't matter. They're part of the put-down club. They're part of the former employee disgruntlement club. Barr was embarrassed by Trump. Trump gave him the boot. Okay, fine, I get it. But now he's on his hate-on tour. That's what I don't get, and that's what I don't like. Particularly when you consider what we're up against in this country. What would Bill Barr have said had he been Attorney General? When Abraham Lincoln ordered... Individuals in Maryland were stopping 
the militia from New England from coming down and protecting Washington, D.C., imprisoned on site by the United States military without habeas corpus. What would Bill Barr have said? It's right there in the Constitution. He violated the Constitution. Should Lincoln have been impeached? I'm just curious. What would our former federal prosecutors say today? Even though there weren't any back then that I can think of. Or how about this one? When Lincoln gave a nod to a Secretary of War to shut down newspapers. They were giving aid and comfort to the Confederacy. 200 of them, give or take. What will Bill Barr say about that? It's right there in the First Amendment, you know. Yeah, it's true. What would Bill Barr say when a Republican congressman was condemning the war effort? Listen to this one, Mr. Producer. And Lincoln had him removed. Not just from Congress, but from his state. What would Bill Barr say about that? Would Bill Barr say Abraham Lincoln was our greatest president? I think he was, or certainly one of them. Those were extreme times, there's no question about it. What would Bill Barr say? If Ronald Reagan or George Bush or George Bush or one of them had documents at their home But they didn't. Only Trump did. This law, the Presidential Records Act, has only been in place since 1978. And if I ask Bill Barr to take an oath under penalty of perjury on first-hand knowledge if these presidents have ever taken documents home and didn't return them, he couldn't take that oath. Neither could a single legal analyst on television, let alone whether they're classified. And we didn't all, we didn't all, you know, sense what's going on, or we weren't all given birth one month ago. This is one in a hundred efforts to take Trump out as a candidate, as a president-elect, as a president, and as a potential candidate again. You got Nancy Pelosi in Congress, who's abused her power. There's still individuals voting who don't show up for work. That's outrageous. That undermines the whole purpose of a representative government. And she still uses the virus as an excuse. Are you aware of that? They hand their proxies to other Democrats. She conducted two impeachments violating the traditions and practices of every former impeachment. But she didn't care. She sets up the January 6th committee. Do you remember how many Democrats, never Trumpers, individuals in the media were saying, indict Trump, indict him now, indict him now on January 6th? Indict him for what? For what? 
Impeach him for what? Criminally investigating with the Mueller. The Mueller, for what? For all the reasons that we were told earlier in the program in that beautiful short speech by Tom Klingenstein. And now, of course, it's dead to rights. It's over. It's over. Don't you know? He has documents. He has classified. Clearly, that violates this, that, and the other. The Espionage Act was never intended to apply to a president and does not. The Presidential Records Act has no penalties. And so we're left with obstruction. Obstruction. And Bill Barr hasn't read the certification that was signed by the lawyer where he'd know he's on weak ground there. So now we have to attack the appointment of a special master. I told you this would happen. And I told you it should happen. Here's Bill Barr on Fox Today with Martha McCallum. Cut one, go. Well, I agree with Andy, uh, who wrote an article. That's Andy McCarthy, who writes these, in my view, very contradictory pieces, and then cites himself. I'm, I'm not attacking him. I'm just explaining why it's important to listen to other people, but it's also important to go to original sources. Go ahead. Well, I agree with Andy, uh, who wrote an article in the National Review this morning, sort of dismantling the opinion. The I don't opinion. think the opinion was dismantled in the least. The judge was right. Go ahead. I think was wrong, and I think the government should appeal it. Uh, it it's deeply flawed. So Bill Barr is hoping the government appeals it, and this goes on for many more months. Because that's the way it works. Should appeal it. Country's gone to hell. The FBI's gone to hell. The Department of Justice has gone to hell. The world's on the brink, and this idiot is caught up in his own hate cycle. Go ahead. Of ways, I don't think the appointment of a special uh, master is going to hold up. But even if it does, I don't see it fundamentally changing the trajectory. I, in other words, I don't think it changes the ball game so much as maybe we'll have a rain uh, rain delay for a couple yeah. of innings. But I think that the fundamental dynamics. So what's of the, the problem? And he wants it appealed. This is a a decision effectively in equity. Why would you appeal that? What's the point of that? Unless you're in the mindset of the FBI and the former federal prosecutors. Go ahead. Which is the government has very strong evidence of what it really needs to determine whether charges are appropriate, which is government documents were taken, classified information was taken and not handled appropriately. How do you know uh, it wasn't handled appropriately, by the way? How do we know that? Well, it wasn't in a secured area. Then why did they take so long to act while they were being, you know, magnificent? No, 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 no. That doesn't make any sense. So they knew that Trump had something akin to classified documents. They don't even have to be classified. Put the substance aside. 
for 19 months and it wasn't secured in a proper area, but all of a sudden it's criminalized? Does that make sense to anybody? Go ahead. They are looking into, and there's some evidence to suggest that they were deceived. And, and none of that really relates to the content of documents. It relates to what the fact that there were See documents. See the slippery slope? Well, first we talk about the Espionage Act and the contents. It's, it's classified. What's he doing with classified? Violates the Espionage Act. No, no, not, not so much. No, I mean, we're not, we're not really talking about that now. Forget about the contents of the document. We're talking about the fact of the documents being at a country club. Go ahead. And the fact that they were classified and the fact that they were subpoenaed and never delivered. But they don't have to show the content, you know, the specific advice given in a memo, for example, in order to prevail in this case. So I think um, it's not really going to change. Well, they do, depending on what it is that they're appealing. They're just appealing this. But what he forgets to mention it is it's the government that brought up the nature of the documents. The government hasn't been arguing. We're very, very narrowly arguing two things that he's got documents he shouldn't have and potential deception. That's not what the government said when it got its search warrant. It specifically listed the Espionage Act as well as other potential criminal statutes and then said, and by the way, we want everything. And they got everything. And this judge is trying to unravel it, trying to figure out right, what's everything. Well, the Department of Justice says this is everything. It says, well, I can't rely on that. This is how stupid these people have become. How moronic these people have become. Truly. Mark Levin. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Never before has Bill Barr been in such demand by any network. Now he's everywhere like a bad, like a bad rash. Of course, I wouldn't know that. But that said, he's everywhere. And his pearls of wisdom. Wow. Wow. It's amazing to me. We have Republicans on television saying, like our friend Karl Rove and others, 
Well, now, we have to stop focusing on Trump. We have to get to the issues. And then we have Bill Barr, who's from that wing of the Republican Party, all over the place, not to talk about the corrupt Department of Justice and the Attorney General who won't recuse himself, who's calling every shot, not the attack on parents at school board meetings, not the open borders in violation of federal immigration law, and so forth and so on. But Trump. So why don't they condemn Bill Barr? And then we have some of the same hosts who keep talking about Trump, and then they'll bring in somebody who says, the Republicans are going to lose if they don't start talking about the issues. And the host says, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, they need to start talking about the issues. You think Donald Trump wants to be talked about like this? It's ridiculous. It's just like the media say, look how divided we are. When the media divide us. They're instigating more hate and potential violence than any other organized outfit. Period. It's so true, isn't it? Now, I'm going to continue to have candidates on here. Not always, but mostly in the third hour when I, when I think it makes sense. From your state and from other states. Because our mission here is to save the country. In an hour three tonight, we will have Herschel Walker of Georgia. And we will have other candidates from throughout the country as we have and yes, from your state, even perhaps from your congressional district. You know, uh, what Biden is trying to do here in attacking the Republican Party and MAGA and everything, they're trying to change the Republican Party. They want a Republican Party that's on a leash. They long for the days of the Republican Party under the Bushes, under the Dick Cheney's. We're basically punching bags. They long for the days of the John Boehners. We can do business with Boehner and the Paul Ryans. They think Mitch McConnell, even though they attack him, is the best they can get. Because Mitch really isn't going to fight the counter-revolution on the left. He's not going to fight the American Marxists. He doesn't do anything about the border. He mumbles along. He's incapable of communicating effectively with the American people. He's despised by a majority in his own party. Of course, he annoys them when it comes to the courts, but that's about it. If they had to pick somebody that would lead the Republicans, they'd pick McConnell. Or Cornyn or Thune or somebody like that. So they have who they want. But what they cannot tolerate are strong conservatives leading the Republican Party. So they hated Goldwater. They hated Reagan. They hate DeSantis. They hate Cruz. 
And of course, most of all, they hate Trump. So Hillary's out there, Biden's out there. We don't hate all Republicans now, they say, because apparently didn't poll very well. But we want to reconstitute the Republican Party, Hillary says. We want to change the GOP back to something we can work with. So the Democrat Party, they insist that they should remake their opposition party into what the Democrats demand it to be. Just like they want to reconstitute, recharacterize, rename equality and gender and fairness and racism in American history and the word inflation and the word recession. Oh, yes. So now it's time to remake the Republican Party. We want the Republican Party to be what Liz Cheney says it should be, what Adam Kingsinger says it should be, what Mitch McConnell wants. We want the Republican Party to be as useless and ineffective as it was under the Bushes. That's what we want. The good old days when Republicans, yes, now and then they would win, but they basically were the go-along Republicans. Oh, they talked a lot. We understood that. But basically, we could get things done with them. We call it bipartisanship. Not so with these white supremacist ideologues. I want to tell you a little story about this white supremacist ideologue stuff. I linked to a brilliant essay that's in Real Clear Investigations, which is a great site, all of the Real Clear Politics sites, on my platform, social media, on Twitter, on Truth Social, Getter, and Parler. And after this show, it'll be on MarkLevinShow.com in our archives. It's a brilliant piece. It's not that I was unaware of the contents. It's just another one of these great pieces. And I try to give attention to what I consider really well-done thinking, despite all the static that's out there. And this piece explains how we've now reached a point where you can say anything about men, anything about men, period. But not about women. And you can say anything about quote-unquote white people or Caucasians. Anything. Anything. No matter how racist, no matter how poisonous, no matter how vile. But you dare not say those same things in the same way about any other race. Period. And the author describes how we got to this point. Now there's some of this, by the way, in American Marxism. 
Herbert Marcuse, and other Marxists. But it's part of the Marxist ideology. It came out of our colleges and universities. Psychiatrists, psychologists, pseudo-philosophers and scholars. If a country's majority white, which America is, and you trash the majority population in a thousand different ways, and you degrade it, and you demean it. Effectively, what you're doing is destroying the country. You're destroying the country. Because if the majority population in the country, and you don't have to pick whites, you could pick others, and you could go to the, the uh, Asia, you can go to... Uh, the continent of Africa, you can go to uh, Europe, whatever you want, doesn't matter. But if the majority population is worthless, or you can pour all your hate and animosity into that group, whether it's Jews in Israel, or whether it's white males, or whether it's Muslims in another country, or whatever it is. You're destroying the country. And that's why the Marxists embrace this. And you've seen it move from our colleges and universities to student bodies, to journalism, to psychiatry and psychology, To politics. To politics. And those who have now institutionalized this methodology of destroying this country, most of them are white elites. Phony white intellectuals. That's who they are. I want you to read this piece. I've elaborated beyond what the gentleman wrote, but still, it's very important. You're not white supremacists. Well, there's some out there, there's no question. But to try and paint tens of millions of Americans as white supremacists, any more than you would try to paint Millions, if not tens of millions of blacks is one thing, or Hispanics is one thing, or Asians is one thing, or, or what have you. Is grotesque racism. But this racism has a purpose even beyond racism. You attack the founding. You attack the history. You attack the institutions. You attack the law. You attack the traditions. You attack the values. You attack the family. You attack the faith. Because that's what you're doing. Obviously, this isn't to be confused with real 
Klansmen and real neo-Nazi activity and that sort of thing. But even to have a discussion about this is to walk on thumbtacks. Because in addition to this, there is the control of the language. What you can and cannot say or how you are to speak or not to speak. Again, part of this Marxist ideology. I don't candy coat this stuff, folks. I'm not a progressive and liberal and rat. And I don't know why people are afraid of calling a Marxist a Marxist, but it is what it is. Now the insulting of tens of millions of Americans. Because this is the the rational outcome of an irrational ideology. That is, you have to attack the party that most, if not best, but most stands up for the values of the country, for the institutions of the country, for the history of the country, as ineffectively and imperfectly as the Republican Party does it. The Democrat Party does not support those things. It is the vessel through which the American Marxists, whether they be racists, whether they be whatever they are, they vote, they support, they operate. Mark Levin. You are listening to the best of Mark Levin. The reporting on what's going on in Europe and what's going to happen to Europe as it gets colder and colder and colder is incredibly dishonest. They say it's Russia. Well, it's Russia for Germany, but not the entirety of Europe. Remember when Britain was self-sufficient? Remember all the oil they found off the coast of Britain? Remember that? British Petroleum and Shell, I believe it was. What happened to that? What happened to that? Every industrialized country in Europe now doesn't have enough fuel. Doesn't have enough energy. Why is that? Because they all walk in lockstep on climate change. The degrowth movement started half a century ago in Europe. And they've embraced it, just as Marxism started in Europe. Just as fascism started in Europe, quite frankly. Everybody says, why aren't we like Europe? I say, why should we be? We're America. We're America. Now, the problem with climate change is, it is a false idol. Backed by an ideology. Undergirded by government policy. And funded by you and me. And funded by you and me. The problem with Marxism is they talk about the interest of the individual and the interest of the class and the interest of the the country, right? But it doesn't solve anything. It's an ideology. 
And just by throwing around platitudes and generalities doesn't make it so. It doesn't make it so. The Marxists acts according to their own interests, but they impose their views on you. In our country, Biden, Harris, Schumer, Pelosi, all of them, they have no idea what comes next in their climate change agenda in terms of industries, creativity, entrepreneurship, technology, inventions, nothing. This is a relative small group of people, when you look at the population of the country, who've grabbed the reins of power by hook and by crook, who tell you stories that many of you, not you as individuals, our colleagues out there, citizens, want to hear and want to know, but they don't have to prove anything. And they haven't proved anything. And they pass laws under cover of darkness. And these massive bills, thousands of pages in length, there's documents we want to know about, but we don't get to. We don't get to. Now, here's a conflict. Here's a problem. They talk about what's in our best interest. Well, who defines the word interest? What does that mean? You know what's in your best interest. I know what's in my best interest. As a general matter, we know what's in the best interest of the country, civility, rule of law, that sort of thing. But when it comes to the details and intricacies of running an economy, who's to say what's in our best interest and how does that manifest itself? That's, I'm not trying to get too heady here. I'm just trying to explain as we get to this issue of climate change. And so these interest groups, enormous, enormous hedge funds with trillions of dollars, corporatists and politicians get together and decide this is in your best interest. But these people, while they pretend to be righteous, pretend to be earnest, pretend to be knowledgeable. They don't know anything. What does Bill Gates know about anything? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. It's all superficial. It's all superficial, which is why they don't generally support a debate, free speech over the subjects. They want to shut it down because it's all superficial. It is impossible under a capitalist system or under any system that's even remotely free to impose on that system a working economic order. It's not possible. Whether it's climate or anything else. There are these insoluble contradictions between the ideology and reality. between the ideology and reality. We don't have enough electricity in this country to get rid of all electric 
excuse me, all vehicles that use the combustion engine. That's a fact. And to say that electric vehicles or electric production of any kind is clean, that is, doesn't create some form of pollution, is a lie. It's an absolute lie. Now, just like Marx, the Democrats have to say that they speak for the people, the poor people, the working man. It's the poor people and the working man who suffer and suffer and suffer. You've just gotten a little bit of taste of this. You women in the suburbs that they say they're targeting, Republican women. Those of you with babies, how's it been finding baby formula? How much does it cost to drive? To take your kids to wherever you drive them. The same people, they want to make sure that abortion on demand is the law of the land. Really? And that's what you're going to vote on? They say it's one of the top issues. It's got 10% support. 10% in terms of the top issue. 10%. We're a nation that's built on... Respect for the individual. Not respect for power. Very, very few countries have been established like the United States. Where the people in power, as hated as they are by the media, by the Democrats, and by their Marxists, tried to figure out ways to limit their own power and the power of those who would follow them to gift to us a government of limited power so that you would have maximum authority over the circle of liberty that surrounds you as an individual in a civil society. They knew there would be people who disagree with each other they knew there'd be scoundrels. But they wanted to make sure that they couldn't have all the power or all the power in one election. Or that a faction couldn't control the general population. So they created the Electoral College. They created the Senate, a bicameral Congress and the House. They created the Supreme Court and left it to Congress to create the rest of the judiciary. They created all these things and later a Bill of Rights to protect the individual. Does anybody listening to my voice now believe the Democrat Party, if they had existed back then and were in control back then, that the Democrat Party would have created a Bill of Rights? Of course not. Or an independent court? Well, listen to them now. Of course not. And America, under the current Democrat Party, would look nothing like it does today. Nothing. It would be a totalitarian country, like so many others, where the people are impoverished, where the people are not free to debate and to exercise their speech, where due process is non-existent, 
where general warrants are issued all the time for the good of the people. This constant reference to fascists and semi-fascists, this is what Marxist communists do. You don't agree with them, you're a fascist or a semi-fascist. While they are there for the people, they're driving up your gasoline prices for your own sake. Which brings me to California. California is the canary in the mine. It's the canary in the cave. That's what it is. If you don't want to look to Europe, Germany, France, Britain, in France, their top leader, Macron, he says, the era of abundance is over. Wow. It's over. Abundance, the era of abundance is over. In Britain, Epic Times, 60% of British factories at risk of going under as energy bills skyrocket. Britain is all in on climate change. All in. Britain's manufacturers are warning that their energy costs have already spiraled out of control, with nearly half reporting that electricity bills have shot up by over 100% in the past 12 months. Make UK the trade organization that represents 20,000 manufacturers pressuring the government to take immediate action over the energy crisis. The current crisis of leaving businesses facing a stark choice, cut production or shut up shop altogether if help does not come soon. Now what do they mean by help? Energy. They're starving their economy, which winds up starving the people. Poverty, degrowth. Listen, you've heard it here first and you've heard it here for years. This movement is about degrowth, shrinking the economy. The war on capitalism, 60%. 60%. And here... Just Facts Daily, electric cars are not zero-emission vehicles, and we've talked about this, Jay McGresty. While praising California's decision to ban the sale of new gasoline-powered cars by 2035, Gavin Newsom declared that this will require 100% of new car sales in California to be zero-emission vehicles, like electric cars. In reality, electric cars emit substantial amounts of pollutants and may be more harmful to the environment than conventional cars. Toxic pollution. The notion that electric vehicles are zero emission is rooted in a deceptive narrative that ignores all pollutants which don't come out of the tailpipe. Assessing the environmental impacts of energy technologies requires measuring all forms of pollution they emit over their entire lives, not a narrow slice of them. And to do this, researchers perform life cycle assessments. The EPA itself explains it. Life cycle assessments, the estimation of the cumulative environmental impacts resulting from all stages in the product life cycle, often including impacts not considered in more traditional analysis. Raw material extraction, material transportation, ultimate product disposal, etc. And by including the impacts throughout the product life cycle, or the LCA, the LCA provides a comprehensive view of the environmental aspects of the product or process, 
and a more accurate picture of the true environmental trade-offs in the product and process selection. And they are subject to multiple levels of uncertainty. But an assessment published by the Journal of Cleaner Production in 2021 shatters the notion that electric cars are cleaner than conventional ones, much less zero emission. The LCA found that manufacturing, charging, operating, disposing of electric vehicle, <coughs> excuse me, produces more of every major category of pollutants than conventional cars. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Well, as you've obviously heard by now, Queen Elizabeth passed away. And she was a great queen. She was a great queen, not just for what she did in public, but for what she didn't do. She stayed out of politics. But she loved her country. And when her country was threatened, she did everything she could to support her country. And we're only going to spend a few minutes on this. Uh, Queen Elizabeth II gave an address to Congress on May 16, 1991. And here's just two minutes of what she had to say. Cut one, go. The concept so simply described by Abraham Lincoln as government by the people, of the people, for the people, is fundamental to our two nations your Congress and our Parliament are the twin pillars of our civilizations and the chief among the many treasures that we have inherited from our predecessors. We, like you, are staunch believers in the freedom of the individual and the rule of a fair and just law. These principles are shared with our European partners and with the wider Atlantic community. They are the bedrock of the Western world. Some people believe that power grows from the barrel of a gun. So it can, but history shows that it never grows well, nor for very long. Force in the end is sterile. We have gone a better way. Our societies rest on mutual agreement, on contract and on consensus. A significant part of your social contract is written down in your constitution. Ours rests on custom and will. The spirit behind both, however, is precisely the same. It is the spirit of democracy. These ideals are clear enough, but they must never be taken for granted. They have to be protected and nurtured through every change and fluctuation. Amen to that. Amen to that. Beautiful words. 1991, May 16. Ronald Reagan, at dinner honoring Queen Elizabeth when he was president in San Francisco, just a short few minutes, March 3, 1983, cut to go. 
This cultural landmark that we're in tonight reflects the diversity of our people who've built a unique nation from many cultures on the firm foundations of democracy and law, which in large measure we inherited from Britain. It represents a dedication we share with our British cousins, the peaceful furtherance of art and science for the enrichment and progress of all mankind. It's also appropriate to recall that in a special way, San Francisco, which has become home to so many different people, represents the culmination of our nation's great wartime alliance. Of course, the local links to Great Britain go back much further. One of the first titled tourists to visit this area, Sir Francis Drake, arrived long before the city did. Not only was there no room at the inn, there was no inn. <laughs> but its greatest hours came centuries later. In August of 1941, President Roosevelt and Prime Minister Churchill set down in the Atlantic Charter their hope to see established a peace which will afford to all nations the means of dwelling in safety within their own boundaries and which will afford assurance that all the men in all the lands may live out their lives in freedom from fear and want. And almost four years later, in this city, America, Britain, and 44 other nations formed the United Nations Organization as a means of putting those great principles of the Atlantic Charter into practice. Unhappily, subsequent events have continued to put our values and our ideals to the test. We have seen continued war, terrorism, and human oppression in too many quarters of the globe. We're challenged to restrain and reduce the destructive power of nuclear weapons. Yet we must maintain our strength in the face of the enormous military buildup of our adversaries. And nationally and internationally, we face the challenge of re-stimulating economic growth and development without rekindling inflation. All this we can do. We will find the strength to meet these dangers and face these challenges because it beats within the hearts of free societies and free men. We need to only look about us for inspiration. This beautiful city and this great state testify to the power and the vision of free men inspired by the ideals and dedication to liberty of John Locke, Thomas Jefferson, John Stuart Mill, and Abraham Lincoln. In the words of a great American and warm friend of Britain, Franklin Roosevelt, the only limit to our realization of tomorrow will be our doubts of today. So let us move forward with strong and active faith. And ladies and gentlemen, happily and conscious of the honor that is ours tonight, I ask you to join me in a toast to Her Majesty the Queen. Apparently Reagan and Queen Elizabeth were quite close. And Reagan and Margaret Thatcher were extraordinarily close. Thatcher came to power in 1978, a few years later, of course, Reagan. And they worked very, very closely together to defeat the Soviet Union, to take on other threats that face both countries. And Queen Elizabeth was there for all of it. She was there for all of it. 
And Liz Truss is the new prime minister. And she had just met with Queen Elizabeth two days ago. And I noticed Queen Elizabeth's right hand was all blue. I never said anything. I probably should have. So something wasn't right. But nonetheless, here's what the new prime minister said. Cut three, go. The death of Her Majesty the Queen is a huge shock to the nation and to the world. Queen Elizabeth II was the rock on which modern Britain was built. Our country has grown and flourished under her reign. Britain is the great country it is today because of her. She ascended the throne just after the Second World War. She championed the development of the Commonwealth from a small group of seven countries to a family of 56 nations spanning every continent of the world. We are now a modern, thriving, dynamic nation. Through thick and thin, Queen Elizabeth II provided us with the stability and the strength that we needed. She was the very spirit of Great Britain, and that spirit will endure. But will it? Will it endure? Will it endure in America? My father would be one year older than Queen Elizabeth. My mother will be four years younger. And I must confess, I often wonder. He was born in 1925, Queen Elizabeth 1926, my mother 1931. I have a fantastic mother-in-law, Sylvia, too. Thank God she's doing great. And so during the span of their lifetimes, our country has changed. In some ways for the good. But today, I must confess, for the bad. The generation that fought a world war for this country and others, for Europe, for North Africa, parts of the Middle East, the United States, the Far East, is all but gone. They're all but gone. Now it's left to our generation. Our generation. How are we doing? How are we doing? The generation behind us, in many respects, embraces Marxism. Because our generation is teaching it to them in our colleges and universities. Our generation of Washington, D.C. is rearranging our government. Our generation is filling our kids with propaganda and lies. How are we doing? What will America look like? I'm going to be 65 soon, actually. What day is this? It's the 8th. I'll be 65. I don't even talk about this. Not because I'm concerned about it. In 13 days. I'm not going to live 30 years. I already know that. 
If I'm lucky, I'll live 20 or 25. That's good. But our children and our grandchildren, are we going to leave them a country that's better or worse? More prosperous or less? The reason so many of us feel so bad about the death of the Queen, those of us who aren't British, are part of the Commonwealth, is because she was a stateswoman. She was a moral force. She was steady. And yet, supportive of her country and resolute. A class act. You can't say that about a Joe Biden and a Schumer and a Nancy Pelosi. You really can't say that about many of the so-called leaders in our country. Or many who lead various crucial institutions in our country. For me, that's why she'll be missed. And she will. She lived, or she was queen longer than I've been alive. And it's not like I'm a teenager. The spirit will endure. The spirit's under the most grave attack in its history. Because the institutions that were established to protect us are now being used to destroy us. This is our battle. This is what you and I must confront. And we must not back down. And we must not cower. We need to stand tall and resolute. Just like those that came before us. And Queen Elizabeth will be missed. By a lot of people outside of Britain and outside the Commonwealth. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. What bothers me is not just that the Biden administration and the Marxists that populate his massive bureaucracy and his regime do these things, like sabotage our own energy industry, but then they lie about it. They blame the very businesses they sabotage. Or they blame a pretty much universally despised genocidal leader. They don't take responsibility for what they're doing. So unlike you who listen to this program, a lot of Americans don't pay attention to these things. They're upset about the price of fuel. They're not sure why. Why these prices are going up or brownouts and blackouts in part of the country, particularly California. And so they hear over and over again the Marxist surrogates and mouthpieces in the media and elsewhere repeating the government lies, the Biden regime's lies. If people understood it's the policies put in place unilaterally, no legislation, by the radical 
extreme leftists who populate this regime that they are preventing drilling, they're preventing refining, they're preventing transporting, and then in the end they're trying to affect the marketplace through the states, a well-coordinated effort by blue states to destroy our, our automobile industry and to destroy our energy industry and replace it with hope and imagination and an incapacity to provide you with the energy that you'll need for your daily lives. It's a problem. It's a problem not just in what happens, but it's a problem in the propaganda and the demagoguery because a lot of people aren't clear why this is taking place. Must be the profiteers. But the so-called profiteers don't want it this way. Must be big oil, but big oil doesn't want it this way. It's big oil that makes the requests for leases and then permitting for drilling. Well, who else provides us with oil and natural gas? The Tooth Fairy? If we had to rely on the government for energy, we're going to die. We're going to freeze to death in the winter. Just like you are. If we have to rely on the government for food, we're going to starve to death. Just like baby formula. They don't even know how to make sure there's enough tampons on the shelves. We're going to rely on the government? Exactly who in the government are we relying on? Who is it? Which department? Which cabinet secretary? Which among the 2.5 million bureaucrats is going to provide you with your needs? Which among them is trained to provide you with your needs? Which one knows how to drill a well? Which one knows how to refine? Which one knows how to do any of these things? All they know how to do is to move the dominoes on the table. The checkers. On the, on the checkerboard. That's all they know how to do. And to advance their ideology and put fines and penalties in place and regulations and rules in place to demand that you comply with their ideology. Well, guess what happens? Poverty. Among other things. So what's happening? Europe is just a few years ahead of us. California is just a few years ahead of us. By ahead, I don't mean forward. I mean ahead in terms of regressive. Regressive. People aren't leaving their homes to go to California anymore. They're leaving their homes in California to get out. People speak with their feet. It's called mobility. That's why we have federalism, to the extent we even have it today. And that's why the Democrats reject it, not just for abortion, but for taxes and voting and everything else. They wish to impose on this nation, on every corner of this country, regardless of who you are, where you're from, what you do, they wish to impose on you the ideology of Manhattan, New York City. Of Los Angeles, California. 
and the other urban centers in the country where there's one party rule and as a result, disaster. Disaster. New York made a comeback under Republican governors. Excuse me, under Republican mayors. Republican mayors. L.A. made a comeback under Republican mayors. Republican mayors. I'm just making a point. The Democrat Party is not driven by helping people. It's driven by expanding its power. Expanding its power. Making people think they're going to help them by redistributing wealth. From people who vote against them to people who vote for them. Pretty much what they do, isn't it? They take care of their base. And they try and grow the base. 87,000 new IRS agents. How much you want to bet 95% of them are going to be Democrats? And donate to Democrats, and you'll be paying for all of it. Paying for your own demise. Why am I throwing a wet blanket on on events of the day? Because, ladies and gentlemen, it does us no good to pretend otherwise. I could be here and be a Pollyanna. I could be a Pollyanna on the radio. I could be a Pollyanna on my Fox show. I could be a Pollyanna on, on Blaze. I could write books with a sun on the front and a smiley face. Or I can continue to alert you that there's cause for alarm. There's cause for alarm. A lot of alarm. The Democrat Party is all in on the degrowth movement. I want you to remember what I keep calling this. Climate change, Green New Deal. It's the degrowth movement. Why do you think the number of leases are shrinking, degrowth. Why do you think Europe is going to be without the necessary energy this winter, degrowth? It's not about clean air and clean water. It's about throwing prosperous, advanced, industrialized societies backwards because Marx rejected and abhorred Capitalist-based industrialization. That's the truth. That's the agenda. Show me any pro-growth policies that the Democrats have proposed. Since Biden's taken over, I can go back much further. Where are their their pro-growth policies? What exactly are they? Well, we're funding this. I didn't ask you what you're funding. Where are the pro-growth policies? For the private sector, not the government. Pro-growth. So our industries can grow. So our small businesses can grow. So we grow more entrepreneurs. So we can expand. Growth. Where are they? There aren't any. Despite the government's best efforts to cripple one industry after another. To control and regulate one industry after another in order to empower itself. Despite its best efforts, there are still individual human beings in this country, most of you, 
who pursue success, who pursue opportunity, who try to create wealth and prosperity, despite all the obstacles. And but for us, this country would have sunk a long time ago. But for us. It's not the takers. It's not the people on the dole. It's not the bureaucrats. It's not the politicians who make this country work. It's you. It's those of you who don't have your face in the public trough. It's those of you who don't claim victimhood every time you fail. It's those of you who work hard every single day and follow the rules. You're the ones that make this country work. Not the people who who seek to control you and steal your power. I hope I'm not boring anybody. I'm just trying to explain what's going on here.